We are back. Welcome back to the Ball Might Live podcast. Today we will be breaking down what happened in week one of the NFL season, and then we'll be getting in our picks for week two. But first, let's break down some of this news. So the biggest story going through this past week is the USA's problem when it comes to international ball. So this year, obviously, we didn't have an Olympics. It was a FIBA World Cup that the countries were playing for in the sport of basketball. And America did not even place. They lost out to Canada for the bronze medal. And uh, I think Germany ended up winning that. Dennis Schroeder bringing the chip back home, an NBA guy. The United States doesn't take kindly to losing in basketball. It's kind of our sport. We dominate it in the Olympics every single year. And whenever a team doesn't get first place, it always creates a huge outcry. Especially this year because that track star came out and said that when the NBA champions win that it shouldn't be called world champions. Which, in my opinion, it's the best league in the world. Every single player across the world is trying to make it in the NBA. If the NBA team has all the best players, the best collection of talent throughout the entire world, it's the world champions. I know the league only takes place in North America, but the talent in the league is worldwide. Like I just said, Dennis Schroeder playing for Germany plays in the NBA. He doesn't play in EuroLeague or you know Latvia. They play in the U.S. It's the biggest, grandest stage. They get paid the most money. The best players are playing. So I think that world champion d- debate was kind of stupid. And U.S. not meddling definitely makes it worse. A lot of people are saying that, oh, we just need better players on the team. I, the U.S. still had the most talented team by far. It's not the talent level that's the problem. It's a, It's pretty much chemistry and rules. So if you didn't know, FIBA plays EuroLeague rules. And the EuroLeague rules is a different set of rules from the NBA, which the guys that are on U.S. are used to playing. I think college guys, if we got a team of the top college guys, would adapt better to the game like how they used to. But obviously the talent level wouldn't be nearly as good, and we would be you know, stuck with young, super young players playing against grown men. So our best bet is to send our NBA guys who play a completely different game. It's still basketball, but it's not the same game. The EuroLeague rules, it's a lot more tight, compact, three-point lines shorter, everyone's standing closer, there's less space, fouls are called differently, you know, rebounding is a little different too. And that is a huge, that's a huge thing. They're playing a different sport. These other teams, besides the NBA guys on the teams, that's you know, usually less than three per team, they play by the FIBA rules all the time. So they already know how to play and know how the game flow is and stuff like that. Plus they have chemistry with a lot of the guys because they usually are playing the same set of guys every single year, maybe a couple changes here and there. But the U.S. team, it seems like it's a completely different team each and every year. So a lot of chemistry goes into it and the rules are a big thing. I think that when the USA goes to the Olympics coming up, they will bring out a hell of a roster, and I think they will dominate pretty much everyone besides those top teams, you know, like Spain, Canada, Germany, obviously, just won, France, teams like that. But it's, it's a lot of, it takes a lot of gaming to know the FIBA rules coming off of an NBA season. So congrats to Germany. They deserve it. They were the best team, obviously. Sucks the U.S. didn't medal, but I'm not reading that much into it like a lot of other people. 
Sticking with basketball, a new set of rules just rolled out, talking about load management and trying to get stars to play more, which I think is a good thing. We've talked about it in the past, how I don't think the 65 games and in-season tournament is really going to make a whole lot of difference. I think this you know, rule, setting out clear definitions of when you can and can't sit, might help, but there's a chance it won't. So the main things were that you can't rest two star players on the same night. So they are including in the rules that it is okay to rest players, which is a good thing, especially with these like back-to-back-to-back games. You know, high pace. It's the highest pace the game's ever been since like the 60s. You know, players do need rest, and I do think it's a good thing to keep these players ready for the playoffs. You know, sometimes a player we've seen can get a little too well-rested and then their body's not in the best condition or best shape when it comes around to the playoffs. I'm talking about the Clippers guys. I think they took way too much time off. And I think the league directly forced some of these rules at the Clippers. They put in the rules, no two stars can rest on the same night, so PG and Kawhi cannot be taking a break during the regular season together. Also, there was a bunch of other like stipulations. I didn't read into the super fine details. And it was basically just saying LeBron can rest whenever he wants. There's a few other guys too, but those other guys aren't star players and they're not going to want to sit because they're hungry and they have to earn their check, basically. LeBron can sit whenever he wants, which, I mean, he's getting up there in age. He's almost 40. Let the man sit if he needs to sit. I think that this might work. We're going to see the main workaround is obviously going to be fake injuries and just saying a guy's hurt when he isn't. So we'll see if the NBA will have to send out like their own team doctors to evaluate guys, which still the players can lie and say, oh, yeah, my ankles hurt. Ow, it hurts when you twist it that way. So we'll see how well this works. I hope it helps. Obviously, the NBA is in their TV contract year this year, and they need all the star power that they can get to get that highest number. I think star players should want to play, too, because if they play better and play more games and the ratings are better, they're going to get more money for their salary cap and stuff like that. So the stars should be motivated to to play. The league is motivated to get these guys out there on the floor, especially this year. And last a little bit of NBA stuff before we get into football. Kevin Porter Jr., he's had issues in the past off of the court. This time around, it's domestic violence, it appears. I don't really want to talk about the case. I don't know very much about the case. We just know that this isn't a first-time offender in Kevin Porter Jr. It seems like the Rockets are reported or are reported to trade him, I guess. He's a young player with a lot of potential, but if he can't control himself off the court, it's really hard to justify why he should be in the league and be given this opportunity that could be given to a guy that works just as hard, is just as talented, but doesn't have those off-court concerns. I hope that the investigation is swift, just obviously, if he didn't do it, then clear his name, obviously, but it's not really looking that way, unfortunately. So let's get into football now. Kind of left the NBA on a bummer note, but more positive NBA stuff will be coming soon, I promise. So before we get into the games, grass fields have popped up again with Aaron Rodgers' Achilles tear. After watching the play, I don't think that a grass field would have made much of a difference, but kind of throwing it back to the NBA, if the NBA players all came out and were 
saying that, oh, we need a different type of court to play on, the wood is just not it, then the NBA owners would have done it already. It would have been done. The NFL owners are a much stingier group, and they keep fighting. And honestly, what I think it's going to take is it's going to take the owners with the grass fields that pay extra money to maintain a nicer, more safe field to call out the owners that cheap out and then the owners with grass fields that pay more money for field upkeep and stuff, their players are going to get hurt on turf and that's what's going to cause a problem, I think. And that's when it, that's when it's going to be actual change is when the owner's assets are getting hurt on a lesser field that the other owners are cheaping out on that that owner isn't. So I'm calling out all the owners with grass fields except for Chicago because their field is fucking terrible for a grass field. All the grass field owners should be coming out and complaining to the turf owners saying, hey, let's get this together. It's going to happen eventually. It will happen in the future, I promise. But the owners are just way stingy, way stubborn, and it's going to take way longer than it needs to, even with all this player outcry. And there has not been one player to come out and say that they prefer turf. So I don't get it. I know the inside practice fields and stuff, sure, those can be turf. They're not being used every single day, especially for game reps, game speed reps. So let's get all these fields to grass. Let's help these players out. We need to help their bodies. We're seeing more injuries go up and up, it feels like, every single year. So let's help these guys out. Let's have a better product on the field. Let's have better players out there. Come on, NFL owners. So enough with the NFL negatives. Let's get into the positives. Week one wrapped up. It was a lot of sloppy football with players not playing in preseason. It's kind of expected at this point, but it's still games that count that you can play fantasy football on and have a good time watching either way. So I obviously made picks last week. My goal is to be like 65, 70% on games outright and 50% on against the spreads. If you're a 50% gambler, you're doing all that you can. Unfortunately for this week, I did not go 500 against the spread. I went 7-9 and nine just underneath. We were almost there. There was a couple games that were bad beats for us. And for the games being picked outright, I went 11-5, and five, which for week one I think is pretty good considering we don't know much about a lot of teams. I'll take my 11 wins, 5 losses. It's whatever. Some of the teams let me down. Some of the picks I made were just kind of dumb. We're going to break that down and talk about it. So, Thursday night, I did pick the Lions, and they did end up winning. Travis Kelsey was out. Chris Jones was there in the stands watching the game and wasn't contributing on the field. Kind of an awkward situation. But they did revise a contract. Chris Jones will be a free agent after this year. But the Chiefs can still franchise tag him. Chris Jones lost a lot of money. Another player holdout not going the right way. They were 50-50 this year. Nick Bosa came out good on the other end. Chris Jones, not so much. So, let's talk about what happened in the game. I think the reason Chris Jones did come back and kind of bite the bullet when it came to his fines and stuff like that was I think the Chiefs' D played really good without him. Obviously, the Lions are a really good offense, and they had a lot of good plays. But, I mean, the Chiefs held them to 21 points, and seven of those came off of a pick six. So they really just held the Lions offense, who's a really good team, to 14 points. 
where Chris Jones could have helped, obviously, is in the pass rush, getting to Jared Goff quicker, making Jared Goff be more decisive. That's kind of where Jared Goff struggles is when the pocket is collapsing in on him, which, not to call it Jared Goff, every quarterback struggles when the pocket starts collapsing. It's a lot easier when you have a clean pocket. So Chris Jones obviously would have made an effect on this game. I think the Chiefs probably would have won if they would have had him. I don't know. It's hard to say. I really do think the Chiefs would have won if Kelsey was there, though. I think Kelsey would have had a bigger impact on the field than Chris Jones did. I think the Chiefs and Jones kind of saw what happened and how the Chiefs D stepped up without him. And that was where they were like, all right, we're obviously going to be fine without you, but we would be even better with you. Let's get out there. So as far as the Chiefs defense, I think they played really good, actually, especially going up against that Lions juggernaut of an offense, an offensive line. So... Under the Chiefs' offense, obviously Kelsey was missed. Chiefs' receivers were dropping passes left and right. The difference between this Chiefs' receiving core and last year's, where it still wasn't really having like a breakout star player, number one guy. Kelsey was kind of that, and then it was a slew of other guys catching balls. Is They got a lot younger this year, and so it's going to take more games for these Chiefs' ex- receivers to get some experience. A couple rookies, a couple second-year guys. Still, the drops were killing them all game. I think they had a chance to win if they just cut out the drops without Kelsey and without Jones. So, I don't know. I think that the Chiefs might take a few more weeks to develop their receivers, to get their receivers ready for the NFL game. But Mahomes still looked pretty good. The offensive line was so-so. Aiden Hutchinson wrecked them. We're going to talk about that here in just a sec. But... Another thing that came up out of this game was the right tackle lining up as a tailback, as a fullback. And a lot of people were saying that he was jumping early. A lot of tackles do do that, where they just have elite timing, where the ball comes out right when they jump. So I'm going to turn a blind eye to the false starts. But, yeah, you cannot line up that far back. That is cheating. I honestly think that if it was any other team that was doing that, not the Chiefs, that it would have had a higher chance of being called. But I think that it's not going to be happening anymore since the internet went so reactive to it, and it was the first game. Everyone's eyes were on it. So I think that we're not going to be seeing that much at all, especially since it happened in week one, and it was on the main stage. So I don't think that's going to happen at all, even including the Chiefs, which I think are the most likely team to be doing it again. And onto the Lions side of the ball. I think their offense looked pretty good. I think that their offensive line is obviously a top three line. Their biggest concern, in my opinion, is that they don't have a speedy take off the top receiver. They don't really have anyone on the receiving end of things that can take a ball, you know, 75 yards to the house. They have a lot of guys that can get open and create a lot of separation. But once they get the ball in their hands, they aren't as dynamic as other guys. I think the guy that can change that dynamic, though, is Jameer Gibbs. He didn't really get the ball as much as anyone kind of expected. And every time he got the ball, it looked awesome. He looked electric. He made, he broke a lot of tackles. He juked a lot of people. He made some good catches. I think that the uh, Lions coaching staff was just trying to work him in, get him ready for the NFL speed. So I think in weeks to come, that he's going to be a lot more involved in the offense, and he's going to look just like he looked, but just with more volume. The Lions' defense, I think, stepped up big time. 
They had a revamped secondary, and I think it was money well spent to guys like Cam Sutton, uh, CJ GJ, however you say his name, <laughs> Gardner Johnson. That guy's a menace. And then I think Aiden Hutchinson was the best player on the field besides Patrick Mahomes last night. I think that, I mean, obviously Amon Ra had a great game. You know, Kelsey would have had a great game if he was out there. A lot of Chiefs receivers kind of dropped the ball figuratively and literally. But even on, like, the Chiefs' defensive side of the ball, they had good plays, good stuff like that. But no one stuck out quite like Aiden Hutchinson to me. He was wrecking every single play. It felt like Patrick Mahomes dropping back. I think he's due for a big year, and he's made that leap. It's pretty obvious already. That guy's a gamer, and Lions fans should be super excited about Aiden Hutchinson and their Lions revamped defense. So for our early morning games on Sunday, we're going to start off with the Ravens 25, Texas 9. I thought the Texans would keep it a little bit closer, even though the Ravens offense came out slow just like I predicted. They just kind of ran away with it towards the end. However, I think Texans fans have a lot to look up at after this game. I think the Texas D is really good already. I thought before the year that maybe they would need like another year to get more pieces in play, more talent in there. But their defense looks extraordinary already. Their pass rush looks really good with Will Anderson, their star rookie player, Derek Stingley in the secondary. Their whole secondary played really well too, in my opinion. I think this Texas D is going to make it a lot closer with some of these better teams than people will think. Um, Yeah, they should be really proud of how they played on Sunday. On offense, I think Stroud played the best out of all the rookie quarterbacks. He was had the toughest matchup out of all the rookie quarterbacks as well. The Ravens' defense isn't the one that you want to play first week. Even if the Ravens don't have the most talent on defense per se, they have the hardest scheme to game plan for. They throw a lot of blitzes, a lot of you know exotic plays at you, and it's really hard for a rookie quarterback to decipher what is going on pre-snap. So with all that saying... Stroud played really good. He threw the ball 44 times, which they were down for most of the game. But still, having your rookie co- or a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback, and he, sh- he says, hey, we're not going to play it safe. I want you to sling the pill all around the yard. 44 times, it shows how much confidence they have in CJ. Uh, the receivers didn't really pop off the field. I mean, Robert Woods and Nico Collins made a few great plays. You know, Dalton Schultz, nowhere to be seen. But... Their main deal is their offensive line's health. They lost a few guys this weekend, so hopefully those guys can come back strong. On the Ravens' offensive side, they found it over time, especially on the ground game. Their biggest problem is that they had two linemen go out with injuries, Linderbaum and Stanley, and then J.K. Dobbins, obviously. Tears his Achilles' first game. You can't make it up how bad that guy's luck has been throughout his career. Hoping for a strong, fast recovery for him. That just sucks, though. And then, as far as Baltimore's defense, it's kind of hard to say. They had a a few guys sitting out, too. But, you know, with a rookie quarterback and how exotic they play, we knew that it was going to confuse C.J. Stroud going into it. And, I mean, they looked pretty explosive on the defensive end of the ball. But that was to be expected. On to the Browns and Bengals. I did correctly pick this one. I thought the Browns would win. But I did not think it was going to be by the 21 points that it was. I think that the Browns' defensive coordinator shift and their additions to their D-line are going to make their defense elite this year. Obviously, their offense still has questions, 
it's kind of hard to judge an offense when the ball is, you know, soaking wet and the quarterback can barely get it out of his hands. And then a top five quarterback on the other side of the ball is having the same exact issues. So I think their ground game is going to look good. They lose Conklin, obviously, for the year. That sucks as well, but their rookie, Dewan Jones, stepped in and looked pretty good. He's a big motherfucker. So, sucks for the Browns that they lost one of their best players on offense, but they have a lot to be hopeful for this year, and trying to make that playoff push, I think it's certainly possible. As far as the Bengals side, I think their defense played really well. Obviously, the weather, the terrain, set up for a defensive strong game, but... You know, they lose Jesse Bates and Von Bell, and they still hold the Browns' offense to pretty low on deep passes and stuff like that. So, nothing to be worried about as far as the defense. I think the offense will come along, too. You still got to worry about the Bengals' offensive line. It kind of seems like no matter who they plug and play on their line, that once they hit the field in a Bengals' uniform, they just aren't going to produce the same way they did earlier in their career. It is a weird thing to watch. But Joe Burrow's obviously shown that he can work his way through that. And I have no doubts that the Bengals' offense will be explosive this year. Another game that was an upset. The Tampa Bay Bucks upset the Vikings at home in the throwback unis. Obviously, the Vikings... We're going to downgrade this year. No one thought that they were going to win like 11 one-possession games. But in their very first one-possession game, they take a loss to a team that when I was watching it, you know, I, when I was picking the games, I thought, man, the Vikings are more talented, but I think the Buccaneers can be stingy and keep around. That's why I picked the Bucks to cover. But when I was watching the field, I was thinking to myself, do the Vikings really have more talent than the Buccaneers? I really was thinking about it hard. Obviously, Kirk Cousins is better than Baker, even though Baker played his ass off. You know, the, the Buccaneers have a deeper receiving core so far. I think the Vikings obviously have higher-end talent. We'll see how Jordan Addison pans out. He caught a long touchdown, so probably looking up for him. But Mike Evans and Godwin still looking pretty good out there. Vikings obviously got the better tight end. It's hard to say, but I do think the Buccaneers have a better offensive line than the Vikings. I think the biggest takeaway from this game is that Kirk Cousins is going to be under a lot of duress this year, and the Vikings' offensive line is not going to be helping them out too much. They looked really bad. I know the Buccaneers have a pretty solid defensive line, but I don't know. And after looking at this game, I'm not surprised the Buccaneers won. I think that they're actually a more talented team. Do I think that's going to result in more wins? No, just because I think Baker is going to be inconsistent and turnover-prone. But as far as an all-around team... I think the Buccaneers are a little bit better. However, to go with Baker Mayfield, I also think the coaching is a lot worse than Minnesota. I still think Minnesota is going to end up with a better record than Tampa Bay. But I'm not so surprised that they won after thinking about it a little bit more. The Kirk Cousins experience will probably be over this year, and he's not helping himself out with all these turnovers. You know, some of them kind of not his fault. Some of them were. But I think if the Vikings don't turn the ball over, they win that game. So, we'll see this Thursday, or today, or yeah, today actually, while I'm recording, they play the Eagles. I don't think the Vikings are going to keep it as close as they did with the Buccaneers. We'll see how Kirk Cousins back, or bounces back, and we'll see how that Vikings offensive line plays against Jalen Carter and the boys from Philly. On to our next game. 
I think this was the worst game of the weekend. Saints and Titans. Saints squeak it out by one point. Titans cover. I think both these teams are really bad. I know the Saints fans are still excited, think they can win the division. I'm just not seeing it. Uh, Derek Carr is not doing it for me. I think that the Saints defense is decent. Uh, It's not really saying a lot that they played the Titans. It's kind of hard to tell. They had three interceptions on Tannehill, which we'll talk about in a second. But as far as like pass rush and stuff like that, I think the Saints defense took a step back, honestly. I think that Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, Rashid Shahid are going to get open and they're going to have explosive plays. But we'll see how the Saints run the ball, too. They had a pretty bad game on the ground. The Titans defense is a tough matchup for that, though. But I don't know. I think that both of these teams are bad. They're not going to be in the playoffs, and we kind of saw why in this game here. Uh, Tannehill, I think this might be his last year in Tennessee as well. We'll see if he even makes it through the year if he keeps turning the ball over like this. On to the next game, Falcons 24, Panthers 10. I thought the Falcons were going to win. I thought the Panthers were going to keep it closer score-wise. And honestly, I think they did keep it closer score-wise. I don't think this score represents how close the game actually was. The Panthers actually outgained the Falcons on offense. And uh, their defense looked really, like, really, really good. It's just, you know, a couple turnovers by Bryce Young in his first game. We're going to forgive that. But it's kind of hard when you have a, a defense that's back on the field all the time because of turnovers. I think the Panthers do need to work on, like, deep shots, though. And I think that Bryce Young will get better with time with that. I think their offensive line looked a little bit better than they did in the preseason, fortunately, so they will protect them a little bit better. But we think I think we learned a little bit more about the Falcons in this game. They capitalized off of turnovers. Jesse Bates looked incredible, one of their offseason additions. Bijan Robinson looks electric. They're going to be smash mouth on the ground. Uh, Artie Smith pissed off a lot of fantasy owners. You know, Drake London not getting the ball. But that's kind of a game where you want to keep it close and smash mouth and kind of just depend on the other team making a mistake in the end, like Bryce Young did. He didn't necessarily have to throw the ball all throw the ball all over the yard to keep in this game. So I think other Falcons matchups, especially this week, will be more of a test to see how their passing game goes. Um, one more thing to take away from this is J.C. Horn out for multiple weeks again. You really hope this guy can make it, but it kind of seems like at this point he's made of glass. I hope he finds something that works for him and he can stay on the field. Next game, I got the spread wrong again on this one. Jags 31, Colts 21. The Colts kept it close all game, and then at the end they just let it slip out of their fingers. This was kind of one of those bad beats where I was really hoping that they would cover, and they just kind of let it slip through their fingers. Um, This game is another, like I said earlier, for the Panthers and Falcons. This game was closer than the score indicates. It was a 10-point victory for the Jaguars, but they were biting their nails all the way through the game. I think Anthony Richardson looked really good. He's ready to go. You know, the offense was kind of easy for him in the passing game. I think the Jaguars' defense is a good one to go against in your debut. I don't think they're that complicated, and I don't think they're that talented, to be honest. But he only had a couple passes that were offline. I thought he was going to have a few more stinkers than he did. He looked really good on the ground. He did bang up his knee, so hopefully he can get that ready to go. Um, I think he's going to have a really good rookie year if he looks anything like he did on Sunday, and they're going to be in a lot of games that people did not expect them to be in, 
and even upset some teams that they did not be expected to beat. As I talked about the Jaguars offense, or the Jaguars defense, sorry, is really shaky in my opinion. Probably one of the worst defenses for a playoff team that I predicted. But we learned that their offense is high octane. They dropped 31 points on the Colts' defense, which I talked about how I think the Colts' defense is one of the more underrated defenses in the league. You know, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley look the part, look the hype that he was getting this offseason. Travis Etienne still running the ball really hard. And I think the Jaguars' offensive line had a lot of questions going into the year. I don't think they looked great, but I think they looked better than what anyone expected them to do. So... The Jaguars are going to be a problem for teams coming up that cannot contain wide receiver threats like that. Evan Ingram had a solid game too. They just have targets all over the field. I think they might even have the best receiving core as far as depth goes in the league, even beating out the Bengals. On to the next one, Niners-Steelers. This was a bad pick by me. I picked the Steelers to upset the 49ers, and we could tell from the very first possession that was not the case. The Niners came to play. The Steelers did not. A lot of Niners fans in Acrisure Stadium this weekend, that was a surprise to see. I'm surprised it wasn't towels everywhere. Um, I think this is bury the ball for Pittsburgh, obviously. They had a really hard time on defense. But I think the main thing is that Matt Canada sucks. Steelers fans have been clamoring for this guy to be fired. Mike Tomlin's a little too loyal to fire him. And he comes out and... Unfortunately, he plays the best defense in week one, or one of the best defenses, but he just doesn't mix it up at all. I don't think he really gave the Steelers a chance as far as schematically to beat the Niners. The Steelers defense, obviously, a lot of young and a lot of old players on the team. Patrick Peterson had issues covering, you know, we'll see how that goes, but the Steelers' back end already had problems. I think the main thing to take away from this is if T.J. Watt stays healthy, he's going to be right there for the running and defensive player of the year. Hopefully the rest of the defense around him can get it together, though. Niners fans obviously have to be stoked on this outcome. They're, obvi- they're So far through week one, they're the best team in the league. Next game, Cardinals, Commanders. I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch anything from this game. I was just kind of keeping updated with the score. I would have fallen asleep if I would have tried to watch any of this film or any of this game. I think one thing to take away from it is the Cardinals aren't going to be a pushover, even though they're tanking, quote-unquote. You can't just walk in and expect a win. As far as the Commanders go, good for them getting a win in their first game without Daniel Snyder. You know, Sam Howell still has got some work. Their defense is all right, I guess. We'll see. Just really uninspiring from both sides. Maybe I'll... I'll watch a Commanders game in the next couple weeks. But as far as this matchup goes, I wasn't interested really to watch it all. Next game is the Raiders and Broncos. A lot of people I saw online were talking about, oh, Russ looks a lot better this year. Did he? He scored 16 points. I know it's a divisional rival. He scored 16 points on a really non-talented Raiders defense. And I know a lot of people aren't going to be placing blame on Sean Payton because he's proved that he's one of the best offensive guys in the league. Uh, It's hard to say with all the Broncos' injuries at receiver. But still, I just think that they looked really uninspiring. And if I was a Broncos fan, sure, you might have looked a little better schematically on offense. But as far as Russell Wilson, I think 
that he's not going to take you anywhere far in the playoffs. And you gave that guy a really bad extension, and they're going to be looking to get out of it as soon as possible. I think their defense might have even taken a step back. They lost Draymond Jones in the offseason. They still have a lot of talent on the defensive end. Uh, They held the Raiders to 17. We'll see if that's good or bad in the future, but I don't know. If I was a Broncos fan, I wouldn't be inspired for this year or even next. As far as the Raiders go, I'm sure they're excited to win. I don't think very many Raiders fans expected to win this game, especially with Sean Payton at the coach. But like I said, I think Jimmy G and uh, their coach McDaniels is going to be a lot better than the Derek Carr McDaniels experiment. I think Jimmy G can execute in this offense a lot better. And hey, I think the receiving core looked really good. We'll see about the offensive line. Them and Josh Jacobs had a hard time on the ground. But then again, they were playing a stingy Broncos defense. And I think the Raiders' defense is really well had, like really well coached and schemed. I think they have one of the least talented defenses in the entire league. And they looked pretty darn good. You know, Max Crosby, the condor, was wrecking havoc as he always does. But their back end actually held up and kept the ball in the quarterback's hand so he could get there. So we kind of had a stretch of boring games there. Let's talk about some more exciting ones. And let's start that off by talking about the most exciting matchup of the past weekend. The Dolphins beat the Chargers 36-34 to in L.A. Once again, SoFi Stadium looks like a Miami home game. It's hard to say whether the Chargers would have won this game if J.C. Jackson didn't commit that pass interference right at the end of the half. I think it's pretty safe to say they would have won. You know, who knows what the analytics, two-point conversions, all that other stuff. What would have happened down the line if J.C. Jackson didn't commit that egregious penalty before the half, giving the Dolphins a free three points that would obviously be costly. They end up winning by two. And I think that after watching this game, we need to have a real conversation about Mike McDaniel being better than his predecessor, Kyle Shanahan. It's really early to tell, obviously, first game of McDaniel's second season as a head coach. But he does some things on offense that I don't think Shanahan could even think of. Obviously, I think Shanahan has his upper hand right now, more experience. He's got a lot more depth as far as play calling goes. But I think McDaniel might end up being more creative than Shanahan. I think it's a real conversation that needs to start happening. I think Tua has a little bit of noodle arm syndrome, though. There's a lot of deep balls that he underthrew. There's a lot of receivers he missed. I think the the Dolphins could have scored 50 points easily and had even more yards if Tua had a stronger arm or if Justin Herbert was on the Dolphins to end the debate on what I think about who should have been drafted first. Um, I think as far as the Chargers go, their, their run game looked arms and legs ahead of what they were last year. Their offensive line might be a little bit more improved, but their ground game... Like Kellen Moore came out and said, they're going to be a lot more north-south running, which they were. They gashed the Dolphins' defense on the ground, which we haven't been able to say about the Chargers in the past few years. So I think this offense is going to be explosive once again, hanging 34, what should have been more, on one of the better defensive talents in the league. And then we're going to have to talk about the elephant in the room, the Chargers' defense. I don't get how... You have Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa against a beat and battered already mid offensive line. And I don't even think they got a sack onto a, or a QB hit. It's pathetic. 
and I think it has to do with Brandon Staley. I think Brandon Staley was lazy with his game planning in this game. I think he just waltzed out and said, hey, our game plan last year beat him. It's going to beat him this time around too. And that obviously did not happen. Their defense got gashed. I don't think Staley's going to make it through the year if they have performances on defense like this, even if they are winning games. Staley was there to make their defense elite, and I just haven't seen it. And he makes a lot of bad time management stuff too. They could have drained the clock on a field goal that led to another Dolphins field goal before time expiring. I don't know. I just don't see Staley making it through the year, especially with performances like this. And I think that Kellen Moore will take over as head coach if that happens. So on to our next one. Eagles edge out the Patriots 25-20. to A really close game that came down to the wire. A fourth down at the very last play that just ended up being, you know, not a toe drag. He, Boutte kept his toe up. He'll learn. It was his first game as a pro. In college, that would have been a great conversion. Good for him. Not in the NFL, buddy. So, I think the Eagles got up early in this game and kind of just coasted to the win. Obviously, they're going to have a Super Bowl hangover. The Pats were going to have more juice because Tom Brady's getting his number retired. But I still think there's some takeaways from this game, even though the score might not be exactly what happened in the game. I think the Pats outplayed the Eagles easily. So, obviously, the the Patriots had a couple costly turnovers at the beginning of the game that led to Eagles points. And I think as far as Eagles offense goes, I think that losing Shane Steichen is a bit of a problem as far as play calling and sequencing goes. Obviously, they have a lot of talent on the offense. They lost a couple offensive linemen, which might be an issue too. But I still think they're going to be elite on the ground and through the air. But I think we have to give all the credit here to the Patriots' defense. I think the Patriots have a top-five defense easily this year, and they're going to cause a lot of upsets. I think Bill O'Brien on the offensive coordinating chair instead of fucking Matt Patricia, whoever thought that was a good idea, Bill Belichick. It wasn't, obviously. I think Mac Jones is going to have a lot better of a year than people are predicting. And I think this defense is going to be stingy all year. And I know it's a lot easier to say this now that Aaron Rodgers went down. But a lot of people just chalk the Patriots into the fourth place spot in the the AFC East. And I think even if Aaron Rodgers was still healthy, I still don't think it was as easy of a chalk up as everyone made it out to be, including myself. I don't think the Patriots think they're coming in last for damn sure. I think this Patriots team could win the Super Bowl if they made it into the playoffs. They're talented enough. I think their biggest question mark is the wide receiver position. Kendrick Bourne played pretty well. Hunter Henry played pretty well. We'll have to see with some of the other guys. You know, Tyquan Thorntrail from, I don't know how the fuck you say his name. Slot receiver out of Baylor's had some injury issues. It's kind of hard to see what he can do. But he's another speedy guy that could be a factor on their offense. Devontae Parker missed this game as well, and Mac Jones still moved the ball pretty well through the air against a stingy, tough Eagles defense. And on the last note, I said that Jalen Carter was going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year. It's looking like that pick's going to pan out. He was making plays all over the field in his debut. So on to what I said was my lock of the week. I think we should keep track of my locks too, along with my money line and against the spread picks. I said the Packers-Bears was my favorite spread of the week with the Packers being a one-point underdog. 
we saw clearly that they were not one point underdogs in this game. This is my biggest told you so. We are 1-0 and on locks for the week. Uh, I need to talk about the Bears in a future episode that's not so packed with picks and outcomes. We'll save it for another episode. But all I'm going to say is it's not the Bears fans' fault for what happened on Sunday. Um, their GM is questionable, in my opinion. We'll see what he does in the upcoming drafts. But the Packers are clearly more talented team than the Bears. The fact that Vegas didn't think so, they had them tied for whoever was going to be last place in the division. It just is obvious that that wasn't the case. You know, Packers rookie Lucas Van Ness looked unbelievable in his debut. He's going to be a freak for years to come. Uh, Jordan Love looked really good. You know, he had some misses. He didn't have the highest completion percentage. But it's his debut. They won by 18 points. He looked good enough. He was out. He was without his number one weapon as well. You know, the Bears obviously don't have the most talented defense. But, you know, Jordan Love did look good. More tough tests in the future for him. But this is a good confidence booster that he will gain a lot from. So, Packers more talented than Bears. It's the main takeaway. It never should have been a question throughout the offseason. I don't know why it was ever in doubt. So, for our next game, I got a two I got a couple what the fucks and then on the Monday night. Rams 30, Seahawks 13. What the fuck? I don't even know what to say about this game. You know, it's been kind of a storyline that McVay has had Pete Carroll's number as far as the regular season goes. But, I mean, come on. The Rams are way less talented than the Seahawks. And I thought it was like chalking it up to, uh, it's week one, this team's just going to roll over, and the Seahawks kind of just underestimated their opponent. And then I watched a little bit of the game. You know, the Seahawks were up early. They just they just kind of ran out of gas, and the Rams actually played them pretty well. I don't think the score is indicating on how good the Rams' season's going to be. I still don't think they're going to be very high up in the standings. I do have questions about the Seahawks now, though. I have questions about the Seahawks defense and offense. We'll see how it goes throughout the season. But are the Seahawks going to be one of those teams that fall off and miss the playoffs after making it? It's hard to say. Geno Smith in his second year after being a comeback player of the year type of player. I don't know. We'll see. This Seahawks team really confused me week one. And I'm going to have to see more tape to be convinced either way. So I'm going to chalk that game up to a what the fuck happened next week we're not going to take any key takeaways from this game besides maybe the Rams receivers not being as bad as what we thought they're going to be without Cooper Cup so on to the next game Sunday night football Cowboys Molly Wap the Giants this was ugly I'm not gonna lie I felt I fell asleep halfway through this game it was just terrible to watch uh, the first drive the Giants just go up and move the ball up the field obviously a bad snap leads to a fourth down field goal where the kick is blocked for a touchdown the other way super deflating but after that the Giants just kind of rolled over it never really was a question after that it's gonna be hard to see or it's not gonna be hard to see but it's gonna be hard to tell if this game means anything Uh, I think the Giants if they move the ball like they did in that first drive they're gonna look pretty darn good and they might be fighting for one of those last playoff spots are they gonna win the division obviously not they lose to the Eagles by 30-some points last year in the playoffs, and then they lose by Cowboys by 40. 
they're clearly not going to be fighting for a division championship. Can they sneak in a wild card is what Giants fans have to be asking themselves. But as far as the Cowboys go, it's kind of hard to take away anything from this. Their special teams and defense, it was kind of hard to tell for their offense if they really even contributed anything. Their defense and special teams did a lot of the work there. I think we do have to have a real discussion, though. If the Cowboys' defense looks anything like this for a majority of the year, could Micah Parsons win Defensive Player of the Year and MVP? It's hard to say. Their defense was explosive, and it felt like Micah was contributing to a loss or a pressure or a hit every single play on that side of the ball. And it's been a while since a defensive player has won an MVP, but I think it's a healthy conversation to have. This league is so quarterback-centric that it's hard to say whether any other position, even on offense, could win it. But I think Micah's got a real shot if he leads the Cowboys' defense to a full season of what we saw on Monday night. So Sunday night was a tough game to get anything out of. You know, we'll see how the Cowboys' offense fares in this week's game against the Jets. But hard to take anything away from this game exactly. So, on to Monday night, last game of the week before we get into our picks. This one, obviously, was one of the more unexpected outcomes in this week's NFL. Bills versus Jets. The Jets edge out the Bills in overtime on a kick return, or punt return, I should say. Uh, I think this is pretty clear that the Bills will miss the playoffs. Josh Allen was turning the ball over like crazy. The Jets' defense is top three this year, so it is kind of hard to judge whether that was just a defensive effort or Josh Allen being impatient. I think it was a little bit of both, but I think the Jets still have a chance without Aaron Rodgers. He went down four plays into the game. It's not like he got him a big lead and then Zach Wilson came in and then just let the game slip out of his fingers and then into overtime. No, Zach Wilson played the whole game and he outplayed Josh Allen in a very crucial matchup. So I know a lot of Jets fans are going to think that, oh, their season's just over. They're not going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be in the lottery as far as the draft goes. They're going to be in the upper half, top 10 even. Yeah, they do keep their first-round pick without Rodgers. But Zach Wilson, I think, is really talented. I think he played a really good game considering that he had to come in out of nowhere and back up Rodgers when he didn't expect to play at all. He outdueled Josh Allen against a really good Bills defense, and he won the Jets that game. I know he had a bad interception, he missed a couple throws, but he's got some of the best escapability in the entire league, and he's got a hell of an arm. He was zipping the ball all over. So, I think with Aaron Rodgers in his his ear all year, I think that Zach Wilson can lead the Jets to a playoff berth still. But as far as like the offseason hype of Aaron Rodgers and hard knocks and all that stuff, pumping the Jets up to be in this Super Bowl team. I know it could be tough for Jets fans, which it has been for decades and decades, ever since Joe Namath won them that Super Bowl. It feels like they're cursed a little bit, but I know they're going to hang their heads a little bit. You have to. You lose one of the generational greats of the game in the first four plays before he even gets to do anything for your team. But I think he's going to come back next year, and I think he's going to put on a show in New York. As far as the Bills fans, I think you got to look at your defense and say, hey, I think our defense is better than what it was going to be. They didn't have Von Miller, and their pass rush still looked pretty good. I know it was against a shaky Jets O-line. 
I think what Bills fans have to be worried about the most is their run defense. I mean, the Jets just gashed them on the ground. So, as far as the Bills offense, you really just got to chalk it up to turnovers and talent. Josh Allen is turning the ball over because he's impatient because outside of Stephon Diggs, they don't have a lot of talent to create separation and get open. Dalton Kincaid, James Cook are going to develop as the year goes on. I'm just not a big believer in Gabe Davis. It feels like he's either catching a 70-yard touchdown or he's covered. So they got to they gotta have some answers on that side of the ball. Should they have signed DeAndre Hopkins? I know that's a question they should be asking themselves. Can they make a trade at the deadline to improve their offensive weaponry? It's hard to say. But then again, they were playing against one of the best defenses in the league, and they will have different types of tests to see if their offense will be able to withstand a playoff push in that brutal AFC. So that wraps up week one. One and oh on locks. You know, seven and nine, not so great against the spread. Eleven and five and picks outright. Let's get into week two and see if we can improve our record. So let's talk about Thursday night football tonight. Vikings at Eagles. Eagles are six point favorites at home. After watching the Buccaneers-Vikings game, it is really, really hard to pick against the Eagles in this one, especially after what they did to the Vikings last year in primetime. You know, primetime Kirk has always been a narrative. I don't believe in that shit, really, unless if it's playoffs, which I think Kirk has played well even in the playoffs. I don't think the time of game which they play really affects how someone plays that much, especially a guy like Kirk Cousins, who's Mr. Consistency. I think a lot of the times it just ends up his team letting him down especially like last year, Cowboys, Vikings, where Cooper Rush hung like 44 points on the Vikings' head. That's not Kirk Cousins' fault. But to pick this one, I will be rolling with the Eagles and the spread of six points. I think the Eagles will probably win this game by more than six. It could be two touchdowns even. I think that Jalen Carter might have multiple sacks this game, and I think that that might lead to some Kirk Cousins interceptions. Where I think the Vikings do have a chance because the Eagles did start off a little slow. Maybe that Super Bowl hangover still stays with them a little bit, and they come out sluggish on the offensive end. And maybe Justin Jefferson can carry this team to a win, busting out moves against Darius Slay and James Bradbury, who aren't the greatest man-to-man guys. I think we're going to see a lot of zone out of the Eagles in this game. We'll see how Justin Jefferson adapts. I think that's the Vikings' only shot, and I don't think that shot's going to happen. So... For our Sunday games, Ravens, Bengals. Bengals are three-point favorites at home. I will be taking Bengals and the points. I think the main factor in this one is the Ravens just suffered a lot of injuries in their week one game. You know, two starting offensive linemen are going to be out. I think Trey Hendrickson and the boys up front for the Bengals are going to make it tough for Lamar Jackson in this new offense to get things rolling. And on the other side of the ball, Marlon Humphrey is out. And I think that Marlon Humphrey is about the only guy in the secondary that the Ravens have that can stop Jamar Chase or T. Higgins on any given play. So I think the Bengals' offense is going to come out and look a lot better than it did last week, weather permitting. I don't know the forecast. I'm not a fucking weatherman. So we'll see. I'm taking Bengals and the points in this early divisional round game. Next one, Raiders are 8.5-point favorites versus the Bills. I got the Bills winning and the Raiders covering that 8.5-point spread. I think Jimmy G's, you know, Jimmy G's presence in offense will keep the Raiders around just enough, but I think their defense will get cooked by Diggs and Kincaid and Josh Allen. 
We'll see if James Cook can run the ball a little better against this Raiders defense than the Jets. I think that is a complete possibility as well. So give me the Bills. I don't know if, you know, coming off of a hard week one loss, if they're either going to respond and just kick the absolute shit out of the Raiders or if they're going to still have some offensive woes in this game. Next one, Chiefs versus Jaguars. Jaguars are three-and-a-half-point favorites. And I, I have a gut feeling on this one. I'm not making my pick based off of any stat or any matchup or anything like that. I just have a gut feeling that the Jaguars are going to come out and floor the Chiefs through the air. I know the Chiefs have a pretty good secondary and stuff like that. I know that the Jaguars' defense I haven't been impressed with so far, and the Chiefs are more than likely going to have Kelsey back. But I just have a feeling that the Jaguars are going to come out and win this game at home, and the Chiefs are going to start off 0-2. That's hard to come back from, but with the rest of the division not looking super great, nothing they can't overcome. So Chargers, Titans. Chargers minus three. I'm going to take Chargers in the points. I want to make my lock of the week this, but I just can't make Brandon Staley my lock of the week. I can't be confident in that, especially against a Mike Vrabel coach team. The Titans are clearly better coached than the Chargers. The Chargers clearly have more talent. We'll see how that shakes up. Chargers on the road, but I still think the Chargers get the win and buy more than three points. It's not going to be much more, though. I think it's going to be a one-possession game. I think the Chargers are going to play down to the Titans unless Tannehill is turning the ball over like he did against that Saints D. And for what I think is going to be the most intriguing matchup of the week, the game we can learn the most from as far as questions for teams go is the Packers versus the Falcons. Packers flying down to Atlanta. And this is the only line this week that I saw that actually flipped the favorites. The Packers were a point and a half favorites, and then it flipped to the Falcons later this week, and now the Falcons are one and a half point favorites. So even Vegas is a little confused on this one as far as who's going to win, and I think that it could go either way. I know the Falcons have the home field advantage, but I do think the Packers are going to win and cover the spread against a really tough, gritty Falcons team. I think the Packers' defense, as far as on the ground and through the air, is going to stymie this Falcons' offense. And it might make Artie Smith reconsider how he game plans for teams. I think this Packers' defense is unbelievably underrated at this point. And I think that their offense will show enough to end up getting the win in this game. Seahawks going going up, I should say, to Detroit. This line jumped a bunch too. The Seahawks were six-point underdogs. Now they are four and a half. Uh, I would have picked Seahawks at six, but I like Lions to win and cover the four and a half point spread. Colts at Texans. The Texans are a point and a half favorites. I think people will probably be all over the Colts on this one. I am actually on the Texans to win and cover the spread. At home, I think this defense is going to pose a little bit different problems for Anthony Richardson than the Jaguars did. And I think that the C.J. Stroud will look a little bit better than he did last week, gaining some more confidence. Plus, home field advantage. I like the Texans in this one. Buccaneers are two and a half point favorites versus the Bears. I think the Buccaneers win and cover on this one. Considering making it my lock of the week, I still haven't decided who I like yet out of all these games. It's a little bit tougher this week than last week. We know a little bit more about these teams. 
and these lines are a little bit better, but I still think this is one of my more clear cut ones. So Buccaneers beating the Bears at home to go to 2-0. and Who would have thought? The Giants versus the Cardinals. It's going to be really hard for me to ever pick the Cardinals to cover a spread this week or any week, unless if it's like 20 points or whatever. I think the Giants bounce back after that rough outing on Monday or Sunday night. Giants are going to win and cover the four and a half point spread on the road in Arizona. 49ers versus Rams. This one is odd to me. 49ers are seven and a half point favorites. It's hard because of the way the Rams played last year. But the same way that Sean McVay has Kyle Shanahan or Steve 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 Carell, uh, Pete Carroll's number, Shanahan has McVay's number in that same way. The 49ers haven't lost to the Rams in the regular season in a couple years. Give me 49ers. Give me seven and a half. They have a way better team, in my opinion, a better coach, and that coach just seems to have the number. It's pretty clear to me. 49ers big. Jets. Versus Cowboys, we'll see Zach Wilson as a actual starter in this game, actually knowing he's going to start. And it's a tough test for him for his first start of the year versus a really good Cowboys defense, even better than last week's defense in the Bills. I like the Cowboys to win. I do like the Jets to keep it close, though. I don't think the Cowboys are going to produce enough offense against this Jets defense to be up by nine points or more. Commanders versus Broncos. Broncos are favored three and a half points. I This one's a really odd one for me to pick two. I do like the Broncos at home in mile high to win and cover the spread. I split a lot of picks last week where I picked one team to cover, one team to win. Not as many this week. I think the Broncos will be able to shut down the Commanders on defense. And we'll see how that Commanders offense holds the new look Broncos but I think with it being a non-division game, the Broncos' offense will look a little bit better. Still, I don't think Russell Wilson is going to be looking like an all-pro out there, or pro bowler even. The next game is super interesting to me. It is the Dolphins versus the Patriots, a division matchup where the Dolphins will be on the road against one of the best defenses in the league with a lot better game planning than whatever the fuck Brandon Staley ruled out last week. I think the Patriots actually win and upset the Dolphins in this game, which also means they cover the spread, obviously. But I think Mac Jones is going to show some shit to people this week. I think the Dolphins' defense probably still needs a few more weeks to gel under that new scheme. We saw them get ran all over by the Chargers. That was one thing the Patriots could not do versus the Eagles was run the ball. I think their offense is going to look even better running and passing a more balanced attack for Mac Jones this week. Saints... Versus Panthers down in Carolina. I think that the Panthers cover the spread of three this week. I think it's going to be a three-point game exactly, but I like the Panthers to cover and the Saints to win the game. I think Bryce Young is going to look a lot better against this defense than he did the Falcons. I, I think they'll be able to run the ball a little bit better against the Saints defense, but we'll see. I think the Saints are just slightly of a better team, even though the Saints are highly overrated. But... They still come out of Carolina with the W. And on our last game of the slate, a big Monday night game, another divisional one, we have the Steelers versus the Browns. And before I get into this one, why the fuck are NFL splitting Monday night games? I would get it if like one game was way later than the other ones where they don't like intersect with each other. But you got two games going at the same time in a primetime slot. 
it's just going to take away from the viewership of each game. I don't know why they don't at least ver- like spread the game out, but I like the standalone games being on Monday night. So I don't know what the NFL is thinking there. I don't know if it just has to do with like the network scheduling or what, but I just think it's a bad idea because as soon as this Brown-Steelers game is going to start, everyone's going to realize how much of a shit show Saints versus Panthers is, and they're going to change the channel to this game, which I do think the Steelers are going to bounce back from their very bad week one, and the Browns are getting two and a half. At, at the Pittsburgh Steelers Stadium, that's just hard for me to see them going in there and winning, especially after the performance the Steelers made last week. They're going to come out firing. They're going to come out hungrier than they were in week one, apparently. But the Browns' offense still has some stuff to prove to me. I think with a brand-new rookie right tackle, who's a little bit more of like a power, bigger, slower guy that kind of wins once he got his hands on you, I think T.J. Watt is a really bad matchup for that guy, and he's going to have a really hard game. Dewan Jones, I'm sorry. You're going to be part of the reason I pick against your team this week. So I'm going Steelers as the underdog at home for Monday night to wrap up the slate. As I'm looking this slate over to pick a lock, there are three games that stick out to me. One is the Steelers being underdogs at home against the Browns team. They usually seem to have their way with. I like the Texans and Colts game quite a bit, but I don't think I would put that one as a lock. That one's more of a toss-up, if anything. So I'm thinking either Steelers, the Eagles pounding the Vikings on Thursday night, or the Buccaneers at the Bears. And I'm sorry to say that I think the Bears are going to be an easy team to pick against, especially early in the season if their offseason hype carries any weight. It seems like it is here on this spread. The Buccaneers looked a lot better than the Bears did last week, and they're getting you know less than a field goal to cover and win. I think it's pretty clear that the Buccaneers will be my lock of this week. Baker Mayfield, don't start turning the ball over now. Don't fuck me on this one. I'm putting my faith in you, Baker. I'm putting my faith in that nasty Buccaneers defensive line. So we'll see how it goes. Buccaneers, my lock of the week. That is it for this episode of Ball Might Lie. Thank you for tuning in. If you have a question, I know we haven't gotten any of the past couple weeks. We've had a lot of news, a lot of stuff to cover. Please email me at ballmightlie at gmail.com. Follow me on socials. Share this shit to your friends. Peace.